This is Crossroads with Clayton King. Someone recently asked me if I knew that I was going to die and I could only preach one more sermon, what sermon would I preach? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I would preach this one. It's a message I recently preached at Foothills Church in the Knoxville, Tennessee area, and it's the story of the crucifixion of Jesus, specifically the thieves that were crucified beside him. This is the most mind-blowing thing about the gospel, that Jesus could save a thief, a murderer, a killer, a criminal in his last breath. So I hope that this message will challenge you to see the grace of Jesus on display. We're going to be in Luke chapter 23. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 23. The verses in the scripture and the points will all be up on the screens. But I want to kind of tell you where I'm going today. It's a real honor. Uh, Pastor Trent, thank you for allowing me to be here. Um, I really love your people and just love, I love East Tennessee. I love the mountains. I love Knoxville. Fun fact, in the 1900s, I went on three dates with a girl from UT. She was a national champion high diver. We did not work out, but that's okay. I have deep roots with the University of Tennessee. I can remember when Phil Fulmer was winning national championships. Once, right? Is that, or twice? I can't remember. I'm a Clemson Tiger fan, so I love a different color orange, but UT Orange is close enough, and I'm prophesying this is your year. You're gonna win the national championship this year. I prophesy in Jesus' name. As long as it's not Alabama, I'll be happy. All right, I said it, now let's go. You know, uh, as a communicator, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm also an author. I've written 18 books. I've been doing this for 35 years, and I study communication a lot. I want to be able to connect with an audience when I'm preaching to them. And one of the things that experts and scientists have told us is that there are certain phrases that if you use them as a communicator, you actually uh, connect with people in a deeper way. The synapses in your brain will fire off in a completely unique way if the communicator says, let me tell you a story. Just that phrase gets people's brains connected in a completely different way. There's another phrase that all of us connect to in a different way than most other words, and it's this phrase, last chance. Now, some of you know that when you hear someone say, this is your last chance, whether or not you need more tube socks, you feel like you gotta buy tube socks. <laughs> this is your last chance. And when we say last chance, there's a part of us that God has hardwired into us to feel a sense of urgency, to feel like, okay, I've gotta do it right now. I'm convinced that car commercials on the radio and on television have, have somehow dialed into this psychology. And when, when we hear the phrase last chance, it makes us wonder if we're about to miss something really, really important. So as a little kid, I made a profession of faith. In other words, I quote, and I'm making air quotes with my fingers, I got saved when I was seven. Now what that meant was, I believed in Jesus with my head, I didn't really care about Jesus in my heart. I mean, I was a religious kid, 
In a religious family in a small little country farming town in South Carolina, everybody went to church. Everybody was a Christian. If you drove a truck, you were a Christian. If you liked sweet tea, if you got biscuits on your gravy, you were a Christian. And so I kind of grew up in it and I understood who Jesus was as a historical figure, but I didn't really know him, love him, or care about him in my heart. So when I was seven, because I did not want to die and go to hell, and because we had communion once a quarter at my church, I saw all my friends taking communion who had been saved and baptized, and I put two and two together. I'm like, well, if I don't want to burn in hell, and if I want to eat in church and drink wine in church, I need to get saved. So Sunday morning comes. I'm not a bashful kid. I'm very extroverted. I'm very aggressive. When I want something, I just stepped out of the aisle. I walked to the front. My pastor took me by the hand and said, Clayton, what do you want to do today? I said, I want to get saved and baptized. He said, why? I said, I don't want to go to hell, and I want to eat and drink wine in church. And he said, son, we are Baptists. That is not wine. That is Welch's grape juice. He clarified it for me very clearly. I guess I'm just trying to make a point that I had this idea of what being a Christian was, but, and this is where I want to dive into Luke 23, for the next seven years, all I felt was confusion and doubt about my eternal soul. I knew even as a seven-year-old kid that I wasn't really a Christian. I knew that I was faking it. I knew I was playing a game. I knew that I was not really truly born again. I was just going through the religious motions. And if you come from a Roman Catholic background or a United Methodist background or a Church of Christ background or an agnostic background or a non-religious background, we all go through the motions in certain parts of our lives. What I want to do for the next 25 or 30 minutes, I want to help you see what it really means to be a Christian from one of the most important stories in the Bible. And my goal is by the time I'm done you will know for a fact without any doubt that you're going to go to heaven when you die and that you have a relationship with Jesus while you live. You better know for sure that you're a Christian because you never know when you're going to have your last chance to respond to Christ. This is the perfect story from the Bible of someone who had a last chance. Actually, two men, two men had a last chance to put their faith in Jesus. One got it wrong, one got it right. It's completely up to you which one of these people you're like. Not my decision, yours. Let me read this to you from Luke 23, uh, beginning in verse 32. This is the story of the crucifixion of Jesus and two men that Luke tells us about who died right beside the Lord. Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with Jesus. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes and cast lots. Verse 35, the people stood watching 
And even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. Do, do you feel the sarcasm? Do you feel the snark? Do you feel the, 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 the hatred for Jesus? They're mocking Jesus. Then the next verse says, the soldiers also mocked Jesus and they came offering him sour wine and they said to Jesus, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. In spite of my sin, he died for me. In spite of your failures, he took your place. The perfect sinless lamb of God led to the slaughter. And the only reason he did it was because he loved you and he loved he loved me. And so while Jesus is hanging there on the cross, Luke tells us in verse 38, an inscription <clears throat> was written above him that says, this is the king of the Jews. Now here's where the story gets really, really good. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. So we see that one of the criminals, <clears throat> even though he's at the point of death, even though he is at the point of dying and meeting God face to face, his heart is hard, he's cynical, he's sarcastic, he's yelling insults at Jesus, daring him, taunting him to come off the cross and save himself. But the other criminal answered him and rebuked him. Don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things that we did. But this man, Jesus, he has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. There is no more important story in the whole Bible than this one. Because at the end of the life of Jesus Christ, we see him stretched in between sinners. Just like Jesus said on the final day of judgment, my father will come with the holy angels and he will separate the sheep from the goats to the right and to the left. Here is Jesus in between sinners, right where he was his whole entire earthly ministry. Jesus was not offended by people's sin. He didn't think that he would get dirty by, by being near sinful people. He wasn't afraid to touch us in our humanity because he was a human himself. Here is Jesus, arms outstretched to the left and the right, doing all he can. His last mission was his first calling, Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And while his hands and feet are nailed to a recycled, bloody, disgusting Roman cross with nine inch long rusty railroad spikes. His hands are extended in grace and mercy to try to gather two more broken sinners into the kingdom of God, their last chance. The last thing he did 
He didn't call down curses on all the people who were killing him. He prayed for his father to forgive them for the sin they unwittingly committed against him. And here are these two men. One of them is filled with bitterness. One of them is filled with humility. This is their last chance. I want to focus on the one who was saved. How did he get there? Same way you and I get there. Four simple words lifted straight from the text. First of all, it starts with conviction. Don't miss this word, conviction. He was convicted of his guilt. Now, some people have a hard time believing that human beings are born sinners. Those people change their mind when they have children. (laughs) Am I right or am I right? Did you have to teach your kid to hit? Did you have to teach your children to lie? Did you have to teach your children to aggravate the living daylights out of you? No, you did not. Why? Because they're a bunch of little sinners. (laughs) So were you. So was I. Conviction is what we feel when we know that we are wrong. So let me make this real practical for you. If you can sin and not feel convicted, you're probably not a follower of Jesus Christ. You may not be a born-again Christian. Anybody can say I'm a Christian doesn't make it so. Do I feel convicted? Does does the Spirit of God crush your heart when you speak in an angry tone to your wife? Can you yell at your kids and feel no remorse for it? Can I cheat on my taxes and feel like I'm doing okay because I don't trust Uncle Sam anyway and he wastes my money and they don't deserve my income? Can I do that? Tim Keller says, if we sin and feel no conviction, it's, not because, it's because we're not following Jesus of Nazareth. We're following a God that we have created in our own image. The first step to salvation is conviction. You've got to admit your loss before you can be found. I've got to admit that I am separated from God before I can be reconciled to God. It starts with conviction. Guilt is different. Shame is different. Satan will try to condemn you for your sin. Jesus doesn't want to condemn you for your sin. Jesus wants to convict you of your sin. It's the best thing Jesus can do for you. It's an act of grace. It's God's mercy that he will convict me and make me feel bad when I do something wrong because it's actually his way of saving my life. So I don't know what your sins are that you've struggled with or that you've committed. I know you're not perfect, neither am I. But conviction can't be the only thing. Conviction has to take us somewhere. When this thief on the cross speaks up, he says to the other thief, the other criminal who's dying, they're literally nailed to trees. He says to him, don't you fear God? We're getting what we deserve. This man's done nothing wrong. He is convicted of his own guilt. We are getting what we deserve. That's conviction. Just own up to it. But it's got to lead somewhere. It's got to lead to confession. Confession. The word confess literally means to say with or agree with. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to be set free from the weight and the guilt of your sin, you've got to confess it out loud. This thief says it. He's convicted that he's guilty. And then verbally, verbally with his mouth, he says, I'm getting what I deserve. I deserve this. 
We don't know exactly what these men had done, but the Romans crucified people because they tried to rebel against the Roman government. This was an act of insurrection. He is on that cross because he deserved it. He confesses. He says it. I am guilty. There is so much freedom that comes with just saying out loud what you know privately to be true. There is liberation on the other side of confession. Let's say it again. There is great liberation on the other side of confession. Because when you are convicted of your sin, if you let it sit there, it will sour and spoil and make you sick. But if you externalize that conviction and you externalize it by saying out loud, I confess, God, I'm guilty. I don't deserve the life you've given me. I'll be back in a minute to finish up this message. But before I do, could I ask you to do something? Would you pray about helping us as a ministry financially? We're a donor-based ministry, and as a nonprofit, we depend on supporters and friends like you to carry out our mission of preaching the gospel and making disciples. We have 10 full-time staff members. We have a radio ministry. We have online ministry, free resources, summer camps, student conferences, a missions agency, study tours to Israel and Greece and Turkey. And we do all of that by the support of friends like you financially. And right now, we've actually just purchased and we're renovating a retreat center on Lake Hartwell in South Carolina. If you would like to help us financially, just go to claytonking.com give That's claytonking.com slash give. We would appreciate your help. Now back to the message. Then it takes you to the third part, the third part straight from this story, an actual conversion where you actually cross over from being dead to being alive. You go from being a sinner to being saved. You go from guilt and condemnation to freedom and liberation. It's a conversion. We're not born Christians. Nobody is. You might be born into a Christian family. I was adopted into a Christian family. Listen, you're not born into Christ. You're reborn into Christ. Jesus said it to Nicodemus in John 3, you have to be born again. That's what we mean by conversion. I've been to 51 or 52 countries now. And every country I used to go to, and I would convert my American money to their currency, usually in the airport. One dollar was at that point in time worth 45 rupees. I give them my money, they give me their currency. That's what conversion is. I give my sin to Jesus, he gives me forgiveness, mercy, grace, life. He gives me the hope of eternity, the promise of security. That's the best deal in the history of the world, by the way. You know what we get to do? We get to trade our busted, broke self in for a brand new you, a brand new me because of Jesus. When the thief on the cross who is speaking in this story says these words, he converts. This is when he converts. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In that simple prayer, you can see your future. You can. You do not have to make sure you pray the right words. You don't have to make sure that you cross yourself just so. For you to meet Jesus, you don't have to get down on your knees with your hands properly folded and your eyes properly closed. It's not the posture of your body that counts, it's the posture of your heart. 
It's not the holiness of your approach. It's the humility of your approach to Jesus. This man is literally moments away from death. He is about to die. There is no hope for him. There is no rescue for him. He's not coming back. This is it. His last chance. He's done. And he tells himself, I'm not going to miss my last chance. Jesus, just remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do, Do you notice what he's saying here? Hey, Jesus, I believe that you have authority. Heaven is yours. You rule and reign over it. I believe you came to die right here on this spot beside me. And the minute you die, you'll be in heaven ruling and reigning over eternity. When you get there, will you just think about me, remember me? And if by some way, by grace, you can let me in, I'll be eternally grateful. That's conversion. So here's what I want to ask you. Have you ever asked Jesus to save you? 1 John 3 says, I write these things to those of you who believe that you might know that you have eternal life. So when I ask people, do you know if you're going to go to heaven or hell when you die? Most people will say to me, I hope I go to heaven. And I'll look at them and go, are you okay with hoping? I'm not okay with hoping. I want to fully convert to faith in Christ now so that I can have, and here's the last word, confidence. I want to be confident of this one thing. Jesus responds to his simple request by saying, truly I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. You'll be with me in paradise. Let me translate that for you. I got you. All you have to do is ask. It's not that complicated. Why do people make it so hard? Why do churches and denominations and religions make you jump through all of these hoops and do all of these tricks and dress certain ways and you can't smoke this and you can't drink that and you can't get a tattoo? I'm not saying that behavior doesn't matter. Yes, behavior matters, but it's secondary. Let me tell you what matters most. God is a loving God. I have to trust that. God has offered me salvation through Jesus Christ. I have to receive that. Your salvation cannot be achieved. You cannot achieve salvation. You have to receive salvation because it is a free gift. It's a gift that God offers you like a Christmas present or a birthday present. And you just have to say thank you. If the thief had never asked, Jesus was under no obligation to save him. So how do you know that you're a Christian? Have you asked? Confidence comes when a person like you feels the conviction of the Holy Spirit while someone like me or Pastor Trent or somebody's preaching. A a Billy Graham clip on Instagram. A preacher on the radio driving home from your kid's ball game. Something touches your heart. You feel convicted for your sin. And then instead of trying to hide it and justify it, you confess and you say, you know what? You're right, God. I am a sinner. I'm sorry. I'm not perfect. And then you convert when you say, Jesus, I know that you can save me. You're the only one who can. Will you please come into my life and take control? And if you've done that, and many of you are going to do that right now, many of you, dozens of you are about to do it right now. I know because I've been praying for you. We've been praying for you. God has already shown me many of you right now, your heart is beating in your chest. 
and you feel it. And it's not me you're feeling. Trust me, I'm not that good. I'm not that powerful. I got nothing to give you but Jesus. What you're feeling right now is the loving, merciful grace of God knocking on your heart. You know what Revelation 3.20 says? Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with him. What you're feeling right now is the Spirit of God knocking. Let me in. I want to give you good news. If you'll let him in, he won't come in to condemn you. He will come in to save you and set you free. You can have confidence if you'll ask. You know, every time I preach, I just assume that Jesus is using the Word to speak to people's hearts. And so I'm wondering if God's speaking to you right now. Maybe He's knocking on the door of your heart to give your life to Christ, to repent of an unconfessed sin, to go ask someone to forgive you, to restore a broken relationship. Hey, I just wanna take this opportunity to encourage you. Whatever God's telling you to do right now as a result of listening to this message, just do it. Just do it. He's knocking on the door of your heart. And if you'll just take a simple step of faith, an action step, you'll find freedom on the other side of that step of obedience. So whatever God is inspiring you to do right now, you have the courage, you have the faith to go and do it. Watch what God will do on the other side of your obedience to His voice. If you'd like to hear this message again, send it to a friend, or learn how to take a next step in your walk with Jesus, check us out at ClaytonKing.com.